Are we ready for the Word of God? I am. I am. We're still in Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. You can page there in your own Bibles if you want. We're going to be spending this week and next week still in this passage. So it's three weeks total that we're just spending some time in this passage on Jesus' instruction on prayer. So that's Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. Interestingly, it's found obviously in the Sermon on the Mount, which might just be three of the greatest, greatest chapters in the entire Bible, according to me. I think it is absolutely brilliant. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. Jesus speaking, and he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's just pray together. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of being in your presence, but also that we are so blessed to have the Word of God, that it will instruct us, shape us, so that we might be conformed to the image of Christ, honoring you in all that we do. Thank you, Lord, for this teaching on prayer. And I pray, Lord, that we might be edified, uplifted, and encouraged by your teaching on prayer, Jesus. Amen. We started this, uh, this little series on prayer last week in the same chapter, in the, well, in the same passage. And what we just looked at is, is six principles that Jesus taught and lived about prayer. These are six very important principles. And ultimately, though, what I can say is the overarching, the umbrella for prayer, if we can call it that, is relationship with God. That is, that is the primary purpose. It is intimate communion with God. So we looked at, at some of those principles, and it, I, I always enjoy it. But if you're anything like me, you like doing things well. Anyone else? I know there's a couple of competitive. I'm not going to make eye contact right now. But whenever you engage in something, you want to do well in that thing. Amen? This is not evil, guys. Can I just say this is a godly thing, a desire to do well. Now, it might be because I've got a, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Sure, sure, okay. It might just be that I like doing things well. Maybe it's, maybe it's God that's given me that desire to do things well, whether it's, you know, I don't know, playing guitar or playing foosball. I don't know what it is, you know, but, but I, I like giving my everything. I like this statement, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing, all right? So, so that's kind of the thing. But, but if you might wonder, Hein, what does this have to do with prayer? See, the disciples had a very similar desire. And I'll show you because there's two times that Jesus teaches this outline of prayer 
And the one time is what we're looking at in Matthew, and the other time is in Luke chapter 11. And listen to what it's saying. The disciples heard Jesus pray, and it says in Luke 11 verse 1, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now that's interesting because this wasn't one of those specific places where, you know, he started praying and, and the earth started shaking or the storm started calming down or anything like that. This wasn't that case. They just, Jesus was just in a certain place praying. It was most probably one of those that we looked at last week that he withdrew and, and prayed. So they saw this and the, the guy's first response, we don't really know who, but the guy's first response is, I want to pray like that. They saw the pro doing it and they're like, we need some tips. Let's be real here. They saw, this is what I want. I want to do it well. This is how we do it well. And this is when Jesus then said, all right, when you pray, do it like this. Jesus taught them this outline. And that's why it's so, so important that we look at this outline of prayer because I believe we should have a similar desire to what the disciples had in that moment. They should look at Jesus' prayer life and say, we want that. And same for us today, even though we might not see Jesus praying next to us, we have it documented. And Jesus saying, this then is how you should pray. And that's the topic of the sermon. That's what we're looking at in this little three-week series, is this is how you should pray. This was Jesus' instruction. This is literally what he said. This is how you should pray pray. So an important note before we just, we're just going to look at the first part of the prayer this week and next week, the second part. But before we get into it, there's, there's an important principle or just a note that I have to make. Um, this was not an outline that we should pray exactly verbatim every time. All right. So it is not wrong to pray as we know the Lord's prayer, just like this word for word, but we must be careful that when we do, we do it from the heart. All right, this is just something. So if you pray this prayer, that's fine. But not at all did Jesus intend this is the only way you should pray, like word for word verbatim. He was teaching us some principles of prayer within this section. Now, now remember, if it's empty, if you're just praying it as, a, as an empty tafelgebed, I don't mean to bash on tafelgebede, but, but there's a rhyme that we know that is babbling like the pagans does, all right, thinking that God will hear us for the many words. And you all know those rhymes, you know, we, uh, we all know it, but it's still better to pray than not to pray, I guess. But still, in this prayer, very interestingly, by the way, if you go read Nehemiah's prayer in the book of Nehemiah when he was praying for the, for the city, as well as Daniel's prayer, it follows a very similar outline. But that's, that's, not, that's not for today. But this pattern involves two specific things. Two specific things that this pattern of prayer, let's call it a pattern of prayer, involves for us. And that should be the guiding principles for when we pray. Not my rules, Jesus' rules, by the way. This is what Jesus said. He, he, that when, when they asked him, he didn't say, start running around and screaming at things. Uh, not me. I'm just quoting my Lord and Savior here today. He said, this is how you should pray. And he gave two principles, two important principles, or, or a pattern, sorry, a pattern which involves two things. And it's the Father's purpose and the family's needs. The Father's purpose and the family's needs. This is vitally important. The Father's purpose and the family's needs. Yet, the Father's purpose comes first. It's that His name would be set apart and holy. And that his will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's first. 
That's first. And then secondly is the family's needs, and that's for provision, forgiveness, and protection from sin. But I want you to notice something about this prayer that sometimes we might miss. It doesn't say, my Father in heaven, and it also doesn't say, give me my daily bread. It doesn't say, forgive me my sin as I have forgiven those. It is actually all plural. Because even when we pray for the needs part, the family's needs, notice I said family's needs, not just your own needs, it's not as simple as just me, me, me. Actually, we should be praying for those around us constantly. So when we pray for even our needs, it should be our needs plural, not our needs singular. This is not the instruction Jesus gave. It is all about the family's needs. And this is an important thing because these two principles that Jesus gives actually goes hand in hand with the very purpose of this church, as you should know, firstly, to love God, and secondly, to love people. Isn't that amazing? Everyone thinks I'm crazy, but it's, 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 it's time and time and time again. We see that Jesus is he's, he's pretty serious about this. He's pretty serious about this principle of God first and then not you, but us. Not singular, but plural. And this already, we're not even going to talk really about this today, but this already should make us ask the question, do we actually pray for others? Is, is, is my largest desire or, or biggest prayer item myself, my experiences, my needs? Or do I carry one another in prayer. So today, obviously, we're just, we're just dealing with the first part, our Father, because it's going to, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we need to first grapple with that before we grapple with the rest. And it's very important because the first two verses, 9 and 10, he, he uses these words, our Father. And this is, I know you've heard sermons on this before, and we're going to go over it again. But, but this is a very important aspect of this prayer is the way in which we relate to God. This is vitally, vitally important for us to understand. If we want to pray correctly, if I can say it that way, according to how Jesus instructed us, we must realize that this term, our Father, it frames our prayer in a way, or rather a concept that we should neither neglect nor take for granted. This, our Father, frames how we are approaching God in prayer. And there's three specific things that this term, our Father, relates to, and it's salvation, relation, and submission. Salvation, relation, and submission. So firstly, our Father is a term that, that was only used something like seven times in the Old Testament, by the way, calling God Father, and something like 70 times by Jesus when he was in his ministry. So something shifted there a little bit, but this is a very important thing because this term, our Father, relates to the fact that we were once alienated from God due to our sin and sinful nature, and then we were redeemed by God through Jesus Christ so that we might be in relationship with Him. This is what that term all of a sudden implies. It implies salvation. It implies that we know Him personally. But before we talk about the relationship part, we must first stop there and say the first requirement for praying right is that you have repented of your sins and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It is impossible to pray according to the Lord's prayer if you have not been saved. 
that we must first address. That we, we must first address that there is this inherent need for all people to repent before God. To turn our lives towards Him. To accept Jesus' sacrifice so that we might be in right standing with God. In right standing. And the first thing our Father, that term implies, is that we are justified before Him. The second thing, relation or relationship, the second thing the Father term implies is intimacy and love within a personal relationship with God. Now, I know this is what you've heard before, but, but it should encourage us to draw near to God. I mean, as, as John Calvin actually says, for God is not only a father, but by far the best kind of father. He always welcomes his children in his presence. John Calvin, come on. Now, see, if you're ever in my house, I've got a little office at home. I just love work so much. I make myself offices wherever I go. Um, <laughs> But my office has some rules, and, and especially days during the week. You know, I've got different rules for days during the week. Now, now, on Fridays, my offices are closed to anyone else because Fridays is my day in which I trust God will speak to me for us as a congregation. So my fr Fridays is not available. If you've ever tried to book a meeting with me on a Friday, you'll know I'm not available on Friday. So I apologize for that, but also it's because it's focus time. And in that time, my calls don't all come through, only vital calls, the calls, I won't answer my WhatsApps, I'm sorry, you're probably going to wait with WhatsApps and emails, don't even try on a Friday, it's not going to work. Except if you're my kids. See, my kids know whether I'm in my office here or in my office at home, they're always welcome. Always. They will not be chased away, they won't. And if in that moment, I, I, sometimes I say, okay, go play a little bit after a couple of minutes, but they're allowed to come in. They're allowed to come sit on my lap if they want to. Because my kids has access to their father. Finished. And see, this is the same thing when we pray to God as the father. We as his children has that same loving access to the father. That's, that's what we have. We get to go in. We get to be in His presence. And this is what that term you know, implies there. is the very same way that my children always has access to their father. We have access to ours. Now, why this is important is because I know that all of us go through seasons in our lives that we don't feel like we are deserving of access to the father. Or just me? Okay. I have seasons in my life where, where I feel like, Hon, you've messed up now. I don't feel like I deserve to be in God's presence. But see, you, you have access to God not because you've earned it, but because God has granted it. By the very fact that He's your Father, you have access to Him. The third thing that our Father implies is submission. This is very important. Ancient Jewish people, as well as the Jews, um, in Jesus' time, they, they viewed God as so awesome, you know, you, you can't be in His presence or dead. You know, you can't speak dead. If you see him, dead. Um, if you touch anything in the temple, dead. Because uh, this was a reality. This was what really happened. Praise Jesus for the New Testament. Amen. Praise Jesus that we have been justified. Amen. Because all of a sudden, it's a little bit different and praise, different, sorry, and praise God for it. But now we have fallen off on the other side of that, uh, 
that spectrum. And we have maybe gotten a bit too buddy-buddy with God. Let me say something unequivocally this morning. God is not your homeboy. He's not. He's not your dog. Not a chance. And see, that is what this term father still means, is, is not what we see today with, with people calling their, their earthly fathers on their first name. You know, that's weird, man. That's weird. I still call my mom mama. You'll hear that when I speak to her, or, or mostly about, if I speak even about her, it's mama. And why? Because it's a term of endearment and honor for who she is is. And this same thing still applies today with us between us and God is because this term father, it shouldn't just encourage the closeness, which it absolutely does. And, and they needed to learn that these ancient Jews needed to learn that you have access to the father, but it also implies that we have to have respect for his authority and rule. He is an awesome God. And the fear of God is still as applicable to us today as what it was in the Old Testament. The fear of God. The reverence for His glory and His holiness. Let me tell you something. I look forward to the day Jesus comes. And I'm glad I'm on the side that can celebrate. But let me tell you something. There will be a shivering of knees and a gnashing of teeth. There will be. When our Savior comes riding on that white horse, let me tell you something. It is going to evoke a kind of fear that people have never experienced before in their life. Hebrews 12 verse 9 says, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and love? Now listen. I'm not meaning to say that we should, we should be afraid of entering into the presence of God at all. But in the presence of God, there is one who deserves the glory and honor. I always have this image in my head about the creator of the universe and what it must have been like to, to see, you know, Jesus creating or God creating through Jesus everything that is in existence. And, and C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, he, he wrote well on it, but I, I think it must have been it must have been a terrifying moment when the creator of the universe starts speaking life into motion. When all of a sudden nothing or out of nothing comes everything. When all of a sudden matter starts appearing and, and the burst of energy that it must have been, must, it's just, it must have been incredible. See, this immense power that cannot even be fathomed according to our laws, our, our our scientific laws of energy. He doesn't even conform to that stuff, man. He's just outside of it. And it's the same God that calls us into relationship. But see, because it's the same God, it should also frame how we view Him. Our Father means that we fearfully submit to who He is. Fearfully submit to who He is. So, those three things we must assume just by the term, what it implies to say our Father. It implies salvation. It implies relationship. But it also implies respect and submission to who God is. 
Let's quickly look at just those first two verses. Don't worry, that's, that's the, the bulk of the notes we're, we're getting in there. And the first focus of those two principles I said, the first focus is the Father's purpose. This should be the first focus when we pray. It should never be first our needs or the needs of the family, but the Father's glory and purpose. Because ultimately, I would not just argue that it's the main purpose for prayer, I would argue that it's the main purpose for life. Is the Father's glory and purpose. So first he says, hallowed be your name. Now, now, hallowed is not a word I often use in my daily, I don't know if you guys speak like that. And sometimes I'm like, Hein, you've got a good vocabulary, but even hallowed is not something I use very often. So let's just, just first identify what hallowed means. So hallowed literally means to be set apart from the mundane, but also very importantly from the profane things and honored as holy. Set apart. Not part of what we know, not part of what we understand. Something greater than the mundane and the profane things of this life. See, when it says, hallowed be your name, it's not just saying your name as in Hein. It's saying who you are because God's name represents who he is. When we speak about God's name, hallowed be your name, we speak about all who he is as a person and what he's revealed about himself in this holy scripture. When we say, Lord, you are hallowed, we said you are set apart, you are above all things, you are so much greater than what we can, can even experience on it. It's, it's acknowledging the one true God over every single lost thing on this earth. Everything. It is acknowledging that you are set apart, you are so far beyond what we can understand, it is saying that God deserves glory and honor because of who He is, His very nature. And why this is awesome at the beginning of our prayers is because it helps us to remember who we're dealing with. It helps us to frame once again what is actually important. It helps us once again just to put God as the main focus of why we're even praying, but, but I also want to say it helps us and encourage us because it stirs our faith because of who He is. See, it's easy to think God can do miracles when you're thinking about His miracles. It's more difficult when you're just looking at problems and expecting miracles. Sorry. See, this is what it does. It starts stirring our faith because we're reminding ourselves that man, he should be hallowed. He's set apart. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the unmoved first mover, the uncreated creator. He is above all things, beyond all things. He should be glorified and honored in our lives every single day. This should stir us in thinking, man, oh man, this is who we're dealing with. We should revere this amazing God. And setting God's name apart as sacred and hallowed begins in our hearts. And this is what it means. As we must submit every thought, we must submit every thought to Him as a holy God. So we must be sure that, that we revere Him as holy, but we must also pray that His name be hallowed on this earth. 
through our families, through our churches. That, and this is what it's saying. Listen, our Father, not just my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We must start praying, Lord, may you be glorified through everything. We as your church, we as Christians, we as human beings, through our town, through our church, through our country, may you receive the glory because this is what it's about. Jesus, oh, I'm going to say something. Jesus did not come to fix politics. Jesus came to fix the problem of sin and to redeem us to the Father. And when we forget that, when we forget that His name should be hallowed above all other things, then we start imparting our own thought systems upon our prayer and what He should be busy with. What we're saying is, Lord, my will on, on, in heaven as it is on earth. May my will be done in heaven. And then you get some weird sermons talking about how we should twist God's arm. Not a chance. We should be submitting to the glory of God here on earth. And I want to move on. Then he starts, he says, your kingdom come. And this is the last point for today. Don't worry about it. Your kingdom. And this is so important. It very closely, almost logically follows the first statement. Because when we're saying, God, you are above all else. You are greater than all else. Everything else should submit to you. That's exactly what your kingdom come means. It says, you are over everything, so may everything be under you. You are over all things. May everything submit to your kingdom to your will here on earth. This logical next step is, is so important because I know that the fullness of the kingdom of God will only be realized one day when Jesus comes back. And we're looking forward to that, amen? It's going to be good, whether, whenever it is. That's not my place to know. My place is to serve God here, and I'm looking forward to that. But when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're not just looking forward to his eternal reign. What we're saying is in our hearts, in our lives, through our families, through our church, may your will be our primary purpose. May your will be my primary purpose through my family, through my work, through my business, through my school, through whatever I put my hands. I pray, God, that it would all be submitted to your kingdom and your will. This is so, so vitally important because you cannot pray even for basic matters of needs, of needs within the family, if we have not first set ourselves in the right place to God's will. Because all of a sudden, my needs come second because it might not be in accordance to His will. This is where our, our prayers should start. It is to say, God, my first order of business is to submit all I am under Your kingdom and Your will. This is what Jesus was teaching. And, and listen, this is not just to get myself in the right frame of mind kind of a thing. The, the purpose of God is the greatest purpose on earth. I said it just now. To pray your kingdom come and your will be done is the chief purpose of existence. Now, I know this isn't a very popular statement in our modern society because we've been taught the chief purpose of existence is my own joy, right? Or my own right to find joy in life. Whatever is my truth is my truth, but your ultimate created purpose is to honor God. This is why God created you, is to have relationship with you, and so that He might be glorified in all that you do. This is, this is why you exist. 
We will have many other purposes on earth where he'll say, okay, hein, I, I want you to play some music or, or I want you to start a business or I want you to minister to the kids at school. I want you. These are things that we're going to get to, be, to do on earth. But our first reason for existence is to be in relationship with the Almighty. And our prayer should reflect that fact. Our prayer should reflect the fact that at the end of the day, everything should be submitted to his kingdom and his will. And that's where we're going to stop this week. That, that's, that's what I want to say this week. That's what I want to challenge you with this week when you pray. Let's put second. Listen, it's not wrong, and we're going to talk about it next week, praying for our needs as Jesus taught us to. It's not wrong. It's encouraged. Jesus himself said we should. But he made it very clear that first and foremost is the purpose of God. First and foremost is who he is. His name that he might receive the glory and the honor because he is an awesome God. And that his kingdom will come and will be done through our lives just as it is in heaven. And I want to encourage you this week. I want you to spend at least half of your prayer time, at least half of your prayer time on just those things. Lord, may you be glorified and hallowed. And Lord, may your kingdom come and will be done. I want to pray for us. Thank you, Lord, that, that you gave us this incredible instruction when you pray. And we remember, Lord, that we are so blessed to be able to call you Father. I thank you that we have been redeemed, that we have a relationship with the Father, and that we are even able to submit unto you. And I pray, God, that, that we will always remember that the first purpose of prayer is your purpose. It's your glory. It's your will. It's your kingdom. So help us, Lord, this week as we pray and as we approach your, your throne, Lord, I, I pray that you might once again become the central focus of our prayer. And when we do so, I thank you, Lord, that our hearts will be changed, that our lives will be touched. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing instruction. I pray that you would go with us, that you would strengthen us, that you would keep us, and that you would protect us so that we might glorify your name in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.